Also this morning, we've got a guest speaker. Um, we've got Pastor Garza speaking to us today. I'm really excited about this. Um, pastor Eli Garza was the pastor at First Spanish Baptist Church in Detroit for a long time, um, and now he just currently uh, serves in a variety of ministry uh, ministries, uh, teaching and preaching and serving, doing lots of different things. I got the opportunity to know um, Pastor Garza when he was at Moody Theological Seminary, um, and I took some classes along with him, and he was just always a person who was so encouraging, uh, a great critical thinker, but always had such a joyful heart. Um, so we're just really excited to hear from Pastor Garza this morning, so please welcome him. Thank you. all this morning. I also was a classmate of Pastor Mark and uh, uh, also Rick Berry, uh, who's now planting the church up in uh, uh, the Farmington area. So uh, we were all classmates back when we were young. Uh, at least I was younger back then. Matt looks the same, but good to see you all this morning. Well, today I'd like to continue in the series on faith in action. Faith in action. Faith in action is moving forward physically. Trusting God, especially when we can't see ahead. You see, believers are to seek God's will, and we can see it in, in the scriptures. And then we're to move forward in our lives in action. We're not to be sitting back passively, uh, just waiting for things magically to appear, to say the magic words, and then things happen uh, because we said the right things or, or gave the right offering. And instead, we're supposed to put feet to our prayers, by placing all of our anxieties on him and then taking action. Now, all of us are on different journeys. We've all been given different gifts and talents to match each one of our callings and purposes. And for some, God has placed a very clear desire in their heart that matches what God has already revealed in the scriptures, in his word. And I would like to talk this morning about Nehemiah because Nehemiah is an example of this. He had a clear calling and it matched God's will as we find in the scriptures. You see, he trusted in God through prayer and he trusted in God for the restoration of his city, Jerusalem, which had been destroyed and, and as a result of their sin. And then he saw God rebuild his city miraculously in spite of opposition, in spite of intimidation, in spite of fear and discouragement. Nehemiah persevered in his calling, in his faith, and he moved physically forward to complete his mission. So let's review briefly Nehemiah's story of faith in action. I'm going to try to smash six chapters. We won't read all six, so I'm sparing you a nice Sunday so that we can just look briefly at the highlights in these six chapters of his story of faith and action and perseverance. So we start the story off as the Jews were exiled in Persia, and Nehemiah was an important servant of the king of Prussia. And then he hears of the bad conditions in Jerusalem. In Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4, we read, They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, he was very deeply saddened. He was depressed. He was mourning. And this led him to pray and to seek God's will to restore the capital city of his people. So Nehemiah appealed to God's covenant of love with his people. Verses 5 through 7. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And what I notice here that's very interesting, he calls out this covenant. Remember, that was the promise God had made with the people of Israel, that they would be his people, and they would be a blessing for the whole world. And of course, we know that through their line, Christ came to this world who rescued us from our sins. And he calls this covenant one of faithful love. In fact, the Hebrew word for love there is hesed. And hesed is, means faithful, dependable love. Not just, just ordinary love, but a very faithful, dependable one. In fact, I learned this Hebrew term from Pastor Paul from uh, Oak Point Milford one day when he guest lectured in, uh, in my Hebrew class in seminary years ago. We see Nehemiah say that he confesses his sins and those of his people. And he recognizes their sins caused loss, deep loss, the loss of their nation, the loss of their city, and their exile. In verse 11, we read, he says this, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So he prayed for the king of Prussia, I mean of uh, Persia, to allow for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. He boldly asked God to, for a very difficult move. This was just not any kind of request. It also had political and social ramifications. And this is a very difficult action to do, to move the king's heart to allow the people to return back to their land. Let's, let's look on and see how bold Nehemiah is in verses uh, 4 and 5 of chapter 2. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. it look at that. He, 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 had, he had courage. He had great boldness, fearlessness in a sense, because he had prayed that God would answer in his faithful love. Whether it be a yes or a no, he knew he could depend on God to make such a bold step and to ask for the government to come in and intervene. And not only that, but he asked for the, uh, the authority to supervise the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Look at verses 7 and 8 say, I also said to him, 
If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, which was a province, so that they will provide, my sa- provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, in other words, the royal forest, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. That's amazing. With confidence in God, he asked for it all. He asked for guaranteed safe passage, which meant not only a letter like a treaty, but also soldiers to provide protection for them, for resources, for supplies, to pay for this very, very large cost. He then thanks God and answers, because of God answering his prayer, and letting the king grant everything that he asked for. That'd be like us today standing before Congress asking for several hundred million and no debate happens, especially in a divided country that we have now. And then the president signs it into law later that same week. That would be miraculous. And that's what Nehemiah experienced. But when he arrives, sees the destroyed city, he's deeply grieved again because he sees with his own eyes everything he's heard. And he understands how challenging it's going to be to reconstruct these walls. He feels humiliation. And also the humiliation of disaster, what the invading armies had done to their city because they had been a very sinful people. So then in 17 and 18, he says this, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And he calls on his fellow Jews to rebuild. And he tells them how God had moved the heart of the king, the heart of the government, to provide everything they needed to rebuild. And this is why we see them respond with great enthusiasm. But any great effort, no matter where you are in time or space, will encounter discouragement and even opposition. So in verses 19 and 20, we read this. But when Sanballat, the the, uh, Horonite, Tobiah, the Amorite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked? Are you rebuilding against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The surrounding provinces opposed rebuilding because they saw it and they perceived that as a political and economic threat to their statuses as provinces. They liked the idea of Jerusalem being weak and destroyed. They didn't like the competition. People act the same, right? 3,000 years ago as they do today. So they opposed it. But Nehemiah had faith in God's mission and his calling and his promises for his people. In spite of the criticism, in spite of the mockery, in spite of all the intimidation. So Sanballat and Tobiah mounted strong opposition to the reconstruction of the walls. And in chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, we read this. When Sanballat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, 
What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can he bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Nehemiah calls on God by faith to help finish this critical project. And in verse 4, this is what he prays. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. So Tobias and Sanballat and the others are plotting an attack to stop this work. And the people were frightened by their threats. They were intimidated by the mockery. They saw what they had before them. This was a tremendous project. And it looks like every step of the way they would be opposed. But Nehemiah reminds the people that they should be placing their faith in God and God alone. So in verses 14 and 15, we read this. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. But that didn't stop the neighbors. They were very nasty neighbors. So they turned the volume up even more. And more threats were thrown at them. But in chapter 6, verse 9, we read this. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah prayed even for more strength, more power to continue forward with the reconstruction, regardless of all the threats that were made. He placed guards alongside the workers. He prepared to defend the city, but he continued with the work. Nothing was going to stop him because he knew that this is a fulfillment of God's promises in the scriptures. He knew that his faith required both prayer and action. In verses 15 and 16, we read this. So the wall was completed in the 25th of uh, Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And we get to see God turn all that fear that the enemies tried to inflict on the nation of Israel, he turned it right back on them. He reflected them. And God finished the reconstruction. You see, God is calling each of us In different ways, for different purposes. He's given us different gifts and talents to fulfill our callings. But we can depend on that very critical word. It's not magical. It's true. It reflects who God is. His chesed, his faithful love. And he will not abandon us. He won't abandon his believers, even if the challenges are very painful. He will equip us to carry out our mission. And we are to have faith in his power, in his provision. But we also must act physically on his spiritual goal that he has for us. He doesn't have magic words. He doesn't have magic water or magic formulas. 
He wants us to place our trust completely in him. And that's what faith is. It's not some energy and some power that's generated from our heads. It is just a simple trust and reliance on him. See, God is going to be faithful to complete his work in us, in his way, and in his timing. In fact, Paul said this in Philippians 1, 4 and 6. In all my prayers for you, I will always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And see, that is a promise for us as well. Just like Nehemiah depended on those old promises to the nation of Israel, we keep seeing the same thing over. I will be faithful. What did we just sing this morning? That God is faithful. That God won't turn his back on us. God is going to walk with us. And he won't leave us alone. Even when things seem very difficult. Even when we are around by mockery, by discouragement, by bullying, God is faithful. His hesed is in the present. God called me about 25 years ago to leave my engineering career and to enter pastoral ministry. He called me to use my talents and my gifts in inner city Detroit. My church is located just three miles west of downtown. And it's in an area that doesn't receive a lot of spiritual, social, or economic attention in our metro area. In fact, many people boast about avoiding it. Some questioned and challenged my calling and decision to leave my career, to serve in a very difficult area. 25 years ago, Detroit didn't enjoy the, the renovation, its, its comeback that it's going through now. So many of my coworkers thought I was absolutely crazy. Why would you do that? You're, you're a younger guy, you have a young family. Why would you throw away your opportunities? Some questioned then my, my calling and challenge. Even my own dad never approved of my calling and never blessed my work as a pastor. It can be difficult when others mock you. It was frightening for me to lose 60% of my pay. I had young children at home. I remember the day I had quit I looked through the window, it was this February cold, gray Detroit February morning, and thinking, my God, what did I just do to my family? It was frightening. It was scary, but I knew I had to stop the direction I was going to carry out God's mission for my life. I had to raise funds for my salary. The church didn't have enough money to, to pay an associate pastor. And yet God provided for my salary through many different sources, other churches, churches in other states, friends, businesses, even unbelievers gave a monthly offering, which shocked me. Why would they support me? But God moved in their hearts. God provided for our needs. God didn't download my pastoral braining into our head. I think a lot of people think today God speaks through spiritual email or texting, and you don't have to make any effort to study or learn. It just comes magically into your head. Well, I can tell you in the last 25 years, I had to do a lot of hard work and I still am learning. But he didn't do that. He didn't download my pastoral training. I had to go to seminary. I had to study and work at the same time. I had to prepare. But you know what? God provided my tuition. My church gave a small amount. 
But the biggest one came from my family in Mexico. Usually, it's Americans that send money overseas so others can study. It was the opposite. It was the Mexicans that said, you are going to be our missionary in the United States. And so they paid the thousands that it required to finish my degree. Later, as senior pastor, I saw God meet the needs of three single mothers who had deep financial needs. The first single mother needed funds to repair major roof leaks in her house. In fact, her roof needed total and complete replacement. And we raised all the funds, in fact, more than we needed within three weeks, not just from our members, but from a network that we had established of churches both in Michigan and other states. And we were able to raise about $8,000. The extra money went to another widow that we later found out who also needed roof repairs, but had insufficient funds. Of course, some people oppose that. Why are you helping them? Let them get loans just like anybody else. Even though the scriptures tell us that we have to look out for widows, for orphans, for people with need. And some were unhappy with that, even though the scriptures make it very clear. But yet God quickly provided all the amount we needed for both single mothers. Even the second one that we didn't know had a need. Another story is another widow suffered a great loss. Her car caught fire back in uh, this big windstorm that hit the metro area. I think it was in 2017. And uh, there, she had no replacement insurance. In fact, she had gone to, uh, Ford has a, a food distribution center in southwest Detroit, and she had gone to pick up some food. And her car caught fire. It burned to a crisp. There were so many fires in the city. The fire department didn't come and put it out. They said, hey, if it's, nobody's hurt, we ain't coming. There were many other fires going on at the moment. So we heard about that. We knew she needed a new car. Uh, and, and in fact, she was just like the proverbial little old lady from Pasadena. She only used the car to go to church and go shopping and visit her sister. And all that was within like a three-mile radius. So we thought, well, we'll just buy her a, a clunker, something that's reliable that she can use. We'll, we'll raise a few thousand. That shouldn't be so difficult. But God had other plans. And so we raised the funds in three weeks again, not just from our members, from other churches and ministries in Metro Detroit. And we didn't buy an old replacement car. In fact, a group of donors insisted that they get her a one-year-old car that had just a few miles on it. Not only that, after talking with them, they recognized that she needed full, full coverage. She lived in Detroit. Her car was at risk, and she couldn't just drive a new car without it being in danger. So they gave her a, a one-year full insurance coverage as well. So that was a blessing. We got more than what we asked for. In fact, a few days after getting her car... Her tires were stolen. And had it not been for the full coverage, that would have been a major cost. So see, God knew where she lived. God knew the purpose of insurance and provided for all her needs so she didn't have to pay extra for getting the new tires, even though this car was just a few days old for her. You see, God provided for her and for us more than we asked. Seems a lot similar to Nehemiah. And that's there, not just a nice story to read for kids or to read for adults. 
It's there because that's a pattern of God's faithfulness. When we are walking and living in his will, he provides. And nothing will stop his will. God's will is to take care of widows in need. So he's going to do it. Even though some were opposed even to helping her get that car, we obeyed his call regardless of the mockery, regardless of the criticism. He provided faster than we expected. And others could see that it was God who did it, not just our own money and our own offerings. He met our needs beyond our expectations. And he increased our faith in his chesed, in his faithful love. You know, we experience the fulfillment of God's work as in Nehemiah, as with the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem. But that's not a magical formula that we can say, okay, God will always do this. And if you apply Nehemiah's life and look at Pastor Garza's experience, that means it's always going to happen. And God doesn't work like that. We would like to put God in our genie bottle. We'd like to put him in our box. We think that God is a tame lion, right? Like in, we read in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He's, he's not tame. He's good, but he's not tame. And so God, many times, won't act in these spectacular, miraculous ways, not because he's mean and cruel and torturing, but he has a higher vision, a higher plan than we do. We want everything to end magically and good and every story to have a happy ending. And yet, many people will pray and cancer doesn't go away. Others are expecting to see their children grow and become adults, and yet they unexpectedly drown. Can we depend on God even when these things happen? Look what Hebrews 11 says, which is the, the foundation of this sermon series. Hebrews 11, 36 and 39 through 39. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. See, the point here is that we are to place our faith, our trust, and confidence in God no matter what. It's to trust in his unfailing love, his hesed, to persevere in his calling, to trust that his reward will come in his timing, not in ours. It'll happen according to his plans, not our plans. And in, the, in his way, regardless of whatever challenge, heartache, suffering we may go through. Others may discourage us. Others may mock us. Others may withdraw their love from us, intimidate and harm us. But our faith is to be placed on God and persevere in it even if we don't see his provision, even if he doesn't provide for us abundantly, because he is going to be faithful through sicknesses, through loss of income, through betrayals, through rejection. But God's will will be accomplished. And our calling is to live in trust that he knows what he's doing, that he understands things better. That's hard. For me as an engineer, I like to see a map, I like to see a plan, and it was absolutely scary to walk in faith in how he was going to provide for us. 
And God may not have chosen to provide quickly and abundantly. But still, the call was to trust in him. Many of you have faced deep sickness, financial loss. And God did not come to a quick answer and provision. And it doesn't mean that you didn't deserve it or there's something missing in your heart. God has a plan for you. And in that plan may require you going through challenges and others seeing how much you trust in him in spite of what happens. We don't follow God because he's our genie. We follow God because he loves us and he cares for us. And sometimes that care requires us to go through some really rocky roads, to really go through potholes in life that damage our cars, that damage our tires, that damage our lives, our physical health. Not because he's torturing and cruel, but because through that, it can, we can get through, through our hearts that he is faithful, that his chesed will always remain regardless of what happens to us. When we have fear, doubt, when we face mockery, when we face intimidation, rather than fighting back and cursing the darkness, we are to light up our candle, to show the world that we trust in him. And we don't care what happens to us. If we lose everything, if we lose our finances, if we lose our social status, we will not let go of our God. We won't let go of what he has done for us which is he's given us a new life and power to endure. We remember that Christ endured pain, but was faithful to complete his calling. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, we read this. <clears throat> Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Christ is our example as well. He endured the agony of pain. He even asked, where are you, God? Why have you leaving me? Why have you abandoned me? And we may find ourselves in a similar position. And the author of Hebrews writes about faith because in spite of being sawed in two, burned in oil, losing our finances, our calling is not to stop the race. We keep running. We keep focused on him. And if we are in bed suffering with cancer or other diseases, and it seems that this is it, we don't let go because we hold on to what Christ did for us. He faithfully went to the cross. And that's why I want to invite you today to place your faith in God. And in this God's faithful love, his chesed, I invite you to come and trust in this chesed, in his faithful love through Christ his son. You see, Christ loved us so much that he willingly died on the cross. He wasn't forced there. He did it out of love for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, to give us power to live a new life and to put into practice what he calls us to do. If we place our faith in his sacrifice on the cross for us, 
If we repent of our sins and receive his forgiveness for our sins, he is faithful. He is loving to forgive us. And he will reward us by giving his Holy Spirit who will never leave us or forsake us so that we can have a new life here and eternal life after we pass on. He is faithful to carry out his will and he'll give us the ability to carry out our particular calling. He helped Nehemiah. He helped others. And he continues to do that even today. He promises to be present with us. He promises to be with us on our journey, no matter the challenges, the difficulties, or even the victories. He's there with us. And we can persevere to carry out his will for us because of his faithful love, his hesed for us. He promises that he'll be with us to the end. So let's remain faithful in spite of opposition, in spite of ridicule, in spite of intimidation. It's not up to us to take control of power to keep others from being nasty to us. It is our calling to place our hope in the power of God. That even if Satan and his armies overwhelm us, throw us back into the arena, even though we have to see our loved ones torn apart by bears or lions, he is faithful. He has not abandoned us. He has not turned his back on us. He promises his faithful love, his hesed. Think about that. Christians, 1,800 years ago, witnessed the death of their loved ones, and yet they didn't abandon their trust in God. And we get all upset if someone doesn't like it that we share Christ and we think we're persecuted. My friends, we're not. That isn't real persecution. Our kids haven't been torn apart by wild animals. We haven't been speared. We haven't been skinned alive, put in a fire because we read the scriptures. There is opposition. So we move forward. We become faithful like Nehemiah. We trust in what he has called us to do. And our reflection is, I'm not going to get you back because you came after me. Our reflection is, I love you because God loves you. He's faithful. His love is hesed. And that's what he calls us to be. Not to do to others what they do to us before they do to us. He calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves because we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and all of our strength. And our mind requires placing trust in him. It requires us putting feet to our prayers to carry on in what he's called us to do. So I invite you, come, receive this great and free gift today, his salvation, his faithful love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you to guide us this morning as we look at Nehemiah's life, as we look at the list of heroes in, the, in Hebrews 11. We thank you, Father, for showing us how you are the one who provides, how you care, how you walk with us. But also, Lord, give us strength to endure that when there is opposition, when others mock or intimidate us, that we don't return what they did to us, but rather we reflect your faithful love, your hesed. Move in our hearts so that we can look unto you 
for our salvation, for our hope, and to place our trust and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.